Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We use salvation as a general term for, you know, the fact that we have become children of God and we're now going to heaven, we're not going to hell and things like that. All of that's true. But what we need to understand is, like I said, salvation is a general term, but there are specific components to our salvation that it's helpful if we understand. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, in a message titled, One Sacrifice for Sins Forever. Now, here's Pastor Brian. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure." Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first covenant that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Did you notice how many times he referred to one sacrifice or or once and for all? And that's the emphasis that he is now placing, it's on the superiority, like I said, of the sacrifice of Jesus. In contrast with the Levitical sacrifices that were many every day, culminating in the the Day of Atonement, but century after century after century, all of these sacrifices, but none of them could really do what needed to be done. Jesus did it all through one sacrifice. And so he starts the, the emphasis on the one sacrifice back in the ninth chapter. And from chapter 9, verse 12, on through chapter 10, verse 14, he makes reference 
uh, six different times to this one sacrifice. And let me just read over these real quickly to you just to get this locked into our minds. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 12, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Uh, Verse 26 of chapter 9, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28 of chapter 9, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And then chapter 10, verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And then finally, verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. There's a lot that he has stated in those passages there where he's referring to the one sacrifice. So I I want to look at the effects of this once and forever sacrifice. And there are many. We're going to look at three. Number one, this once and forever sacrifice put away sin. You see, the, the problem with the old sacrifices is they never really could do that. This sacrifice put away sin meaning that it forever moved it out of the way. Sin is no longer the obstacle that it has been. And you see, what sin does is it separates man from God. This is the problem. This is the problem in the world today. It's the problem in every individual life. For those who don't know Christ, the problem of of mankind is that we are disconnected from our creator. We're separated from him. And it's sin that's brought about that separation. The Bible makes it clear that that is the case. Man is created. He's created in the image of God. He's created in fellowship with God. Male and female, God makes them. We read there that God has fellowship with them in the garden. And then what happens? Sin enters in and they are expelled from God's presence. They're cast out from the presence of God. And then the rest of the historical narrative is in the context of this separation between God and man. Many centuries later, Isaiah, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, he would say this, my ear is not heavy or plugged up that I cannot hear you. My arm is not shortened that I cannot save you, but your sins have separated you from your God. So that's the message that is repeated over and over in scripture. It's this message of separation through sin. And the New Testament, of course, teaches the same thing. The New Testament tells us in Colossians 1.21 that we by nature are enemies and alienated from God by our wicked works. So that's the problem. The problem is separation from God. And so what does Jesus do? He comes and he deals with the problem the problem of sin, he put away sin. Now, some people say, well, why did they have to do this? You know, and why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't God just look at our sins and say, you know what? You messed up. Just try to do better next time. And, and, you know, since God is patient and everything, why couldn't he just keep doing that all the time? Why was there the, the necessity of a of a sacrifice to be made, or even more specifically, why was there a penalty that had to be paid? And that's because 
God is just. Now, we oftentimes overlook this aspect of God's nature, his justice. We emphasize God's love, and that's a great emphasis, and I do that, and I want to do that. But we can't emphasize the love of God to the exclusion of God's justice because you can't have true love if there's injustice. And God is a just God, and the justice of God demands payment for our sins, just the same way that the justice of the court demands payment for our crimes. God is inflexible when it comes to justice. He is rigid, and there, there must be an absolutely just standard that is applied, and Jesus, because none of us have you know, lived up to the standard, we've all come short, we've all committed various uh, injustices, there's a payment that had to be made, and that's what Jesus did, because the, the blood of bulls and goats could never do that. Someone would ask, well, if the blood of bulls and goats could never really take away sin, why, why were they sacrificed in the first place? Well, they were sacrificed as a temporary measure, first of all. They could cover sin, but they couldn't really put it away thoroughly. But not only were, was it a temporary measure, but it was also a reminder of the fact that we are sinners. Every, we are sinners. Every time those animals were slain, it, it was a reminder that it was our sins that caused their death. And it was, a, it was a reminder that we should have died. They were dying as a substitute. But the blood of bulls and goats, as we read here in the 10th chapter, could never put away sin. So Jesus came according to the will of God because the sacrifices and offerings could not do it. He came according to the will of God, a body God prepared for him, and it was through that body that he sacrificed himself. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins to meet the just demands of God and in doing so forever removed sin as the obstacle to fellowship with God. So Jesus made a way back into fellowship with God. He forever removed the obstacle of sin. That's what it means when it says he put away sin. He put it away completely. So it's no longer the barrier. But none of that could happen through the, the priest offering the, the blood of the bulls and the goats. And at the time that this letter was written to the Hebrews, the priests were still doing that. And remember, they were being tempted because of persecution. They were being tempted to go back to that system that was quickly going to be vanishing away. But the author's point is there's nothing back there anyway. All of those sacrifices could never do what needed to be done. And the proof that they could never do it is that they never could cease. They had to keep being offered over and over again. And as he pointed out in the very last verse there that we read, verse 18, he says, because if they would have accomplished what they were designed to do, bring us forgiveness, then they would have stopped. There's no, need, there's no more need for a sacrifice once sins are forgiven. But the fact that the sacrifices went on and on endlessly just was evidence that the sin was never really forgiven. And so Jesus, through the one sacrifice, did all that needed to be done. Now, the thing I want to focus on as we wrap things up here today is I want to, I want to talk in closing about this whole wonderful thing that we're talking about called salvation. 
We use salvation as a general term for, you know, the fact that we have become children of God and we're now going to heaven, we're not going to hell and things like that. All of that's true. But what we need to understand is, uh, like I said, salvation is a general term, but there are specific components to our salvation that it's helpful if we understand. I need, I need to know the different components. They're all together. You can't separate them. You can't have one without the other. But a lot of times we miss these components. We don't realize that, you know, it's, it's not just this one general thing. There's these, these different aspects to it. It's helpful for us to, to understand this. So from the start, salvation is, it happens instantly. Now, some people have the idea that salvation is a long process. Now, undoubtedly, there can be a process that takes place. You, in other words, you, when you become a Christian, you can look back over your life and you can see, man, God's been working in my life for a long time. He's been convicting me, dealing with me, bringing people into my life, you know, allowing these things to happen. You, you, could, you can look back and you realize, wow, God's been at work a long time. But... You weren't saved during that process. You, you got saved at a certain point. Some people think that getting saved itself is this long, long process that you never quite know if it even happens until you're dead and gone, and then you find out. I've always thought that, you know, that's the wrong time to find out if you're saved <laughs> when you're dead and you can't do anything about it. There's a, a point of salvation and that, that initial point is what the author here calls sanctified. But Paul calls it justified. So Hebrews writer and Paul use the word, use these words a, a little bit differently. But I'm going to use the word justified because it, it's clearer. But it, in, in Hebrews 10, he uses the word sanctified, but he means the same thing. And justified is this. Justified is that positional thing that we were talking about a minute ago. It's God's declaration concerning me and you and everybody else who's put their faith in Jesus. It's God's declaration that we are now righteous. That's justification. That's what happens. It's like a, in a sense, it's like there's a cosmic element to it. It's where, you know, God is seated there upon his throne and he declares as the judge of the universe, he declares that we are not only not guilty for the sins that we've committed, but we are righteous, positively righteous, because the righteousness of Jesus is put on our account. So that, at that instant, I'm saved, you're saved. Any person on the planet that, that believes in Jesus is saved that instant. They're justified. Anybody throughout all of history who has just put their faith in Jesus, they're justified just like that. But along with that, at the very same instant, if you will, there's something that happens to you. See, this happens. It's like a transaction that happens in heaven in a sense. But there's something that happens on earth. There's something that happens in us and this is called regeneration. Regeneration means to be given a new life. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You could translate that, you must be regenerated. 
Peter writes and says that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that lives and abides forever. Peter could have said uh, we've been regenerated. It's the same, it means the same thing. Paul described this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, everything becomes new. So the moment I believe in Jesus, God declares me righteous, and then I'm regenerated. I'm made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes into my life and gives me life. So that happens. I'm regenerated. And the reason I bring this up is because it's important to recognize that it's not just a, a pronouncement by God that we are righteous, and then we go on our merry way and just keep living the way we've been living. No, the, the proclamation that we are righteous is accompanied by the power of God's Spirit taking up residence in our lives, regenerating us, making us new. And then from that point begins a process that Paul will call sanctification, but we'll use a different word. Paul uses this word too, transformation. Transformation. Now, sanctification, like I said, is it's the process that we go through after we're converted, we start in this process of being made holy or being made more like Jesus. It's a lifelong process. But you could also call it transformation. So that happens. God starts changing us. He starts transforming us. Uh, oftentimes for a person, if you're involved in very blatant kind of uh, sinful behavior, very obvious types of you know, big sin kind of things, there's an instantaneous change. But there's still a lot of things that we don't even think of sometimes as sin that are sin that need to be cleansed out of us. And that happens over a process of time. And it really happens in many ways over our entire, the entire span of our lives. And then finally, salvation includes glorification. And that is when you get a new body that doesn't have any sin in it. And you never have any of these problems again forever. So let's look at these, each one, and let me just take each one of these and show you what happens with sin when this particular thing happens. So with justification, we are immediately freed from the penalty and the guilt of sin. So the guilt of sin, we're guilty, God acquits us. The penalty is death. The penalty no longer applies. Jesus paid the price. Okay, that happens at justification. Regeneration, what happens? The Spirit of God comes in me and breaks the grip of sin over my life. So sin has a, a death grip on me, but the Spirit of God comes in and that death grip is broken. And that's why these kinds of dramatic types of things happen, like I just mentioned. Because suddenly the, that power of sin is broken because of now the presence of the Spirit in my life because of the regeneration that's taken place. But then when it comes to transformation, we have contamination and pollution of sin that is then being washed out of us throughout our lifetimes. 
So there's a transformation that's going on where the, the, just the contamination of sin, the pollution of sin, the sin that's deep down in my heart that maybe I don't even realize is there at certain points. And then suddenly one day, you know, something happens and I react in a certain way and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's sick. That's so bad. I, I didn't even know that was there. That's the contamination and the pollution of sin. And transformation is how that's being dealt with. And then finally, glorification, the very presence of sin will forever be uh, removed from our lives. There will be no more sin in us. And so as a result, there will be no more uh, sorrow. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more moral corruption. There will be no more self-centeredness and self-serving and all of those things. It'll all be gone. And we will have glorified bodies, sinless bodies, bodies now that are like the body of Jesus without sin, free from sin. All of this is the outcome of the once and forever sacrifice that Jesus made. This is what happens to those who receive that sacrifice. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus paid the once and forever price to put away our sin, to remove it forever as an obstacle so we could come into fellowship with God. Jesus paid the once and forever price to, to, to save us, to get us in that positional righteousness and then to work out his righteousness in our lives. He paid that once and forever price to redeem us back to God so that we would forever be God's people. He did it all on the cross. And so that's why we sing songs about the cross, the wondrous cross. That's why we sing songs about the blood of Jesus. That's why we meditate on the, the sacrifice that he made because it was through that one sacrifice forever that he obtained for us eternal redemption. He put away our sin forever. So our response is just one of thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I want to show you how much I appreciate that by giving myself entirely to you. Because of course, that's his desire. He he redeemed us for himself that he might have his own special people, zealous to love him and to serve him and to do his work. And that's how we, that's how we show our thankfulness for all that he's done for us. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself 
that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.